Good morning, everyone. My friends, the whole church, Mother Church, celebrates the final solemnity of year A. The solemnity of Christ, the King, the King of the universe. Praise be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ, our King, claims dominion over all creation, over all universes, over everything. He alone deserves to receive a throne, not only in the heavens, not only on earth, but in our hearts. Powerful though he is, he does not win our hearts by force or military conquest. Rather, he invites us to be the people of his eternal and universal kingdom. He does not play upon our instinct to be part of his greatness, for he himself fulfills it and hands it to us. His is not a kingdom of deceit and destruction that we often find in nations and governments and kings of this world. But his is a kingdom of truth and of life. It is a kingdom not of evil and conceit, but of holiness and grace. It is a kingdom not of exploitation and hatred and violence, but of justice and love and true peace. As members of his church, we are called to be a sacrament of this kingdom, a sign to this world of what the kingdom of God really is. The kingdom is already present, and yet the scriptures said it is yet to come fully. It is present among us in imperfect form, but the way in which you and I live as faithful and faith-filled people will help to bring it to perfection when Christ the King will come again in his glory. To his people, I say, you need not be unimportant people whose lives are absorbed by trivial living out of inconsequential routines, which inevitably leads to a meaningless death. Life is not absurd. Life is not some random constellation of happenstance. It is a sharing in one really great movement of history. As faithful disciples of Christ the King, from the sacred scriptures for this solemnity. From our first reading from Ezekiel, God is portrayed not so much as a judge to his people, but as someone who cares for them, as a good shepherd cares for his sheep with love and concern. Our second reading, Paul tells us at the end of time, Christ will reign as universal king, having overcome all hostile forces, including even death. The gospel tells us that there will be a time of judgment. Perhaps we do not know exactly when. We do not know exactly how that will happen. But we are told something even more important. What the followers of Jesus Christ and for all people will be judged upon. In the evening of our lives, we will be judged upon love. That is what this reading has told us. Not just any type. There's different types of love. I love ice cream, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> He's talking about hased, a covenantal love, one that is selfless and gives and puts the other first. To be like God, 
is to be like this, loving others. But this scripture tells us also that we will be judged not only upon that, but also what we do not do. We call that omission. We're not loving. We're not having cared. So my friends, the readings speak in a way the gospel said Jesus will come. That means he's somewhere. And he will bring his angels. They're somewhere. The second reading speaks about the resurrection and that some of the faithful have gone already. They're somewhere. In the kingdom? Yes. Where is that kingdom? How is Jesus king? If he's king, he's has a kingdom. So where is this? This is what I wanted to talk to you about today. My friends, I'm a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, but I am also a pastor. Not all priests are pastors. I'm a pastor. And as a pastor, I'm an extension of the archbishop. And as he is, I am to be also an example of Christ who is king. And I have been given the mission for the care of your souls. This is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm not making any of this up. It's there. It's there to remind not only me, but you. And this is achieved by Christ's grace, of course, through the office of the ministerial priesthood. All who are baptized belong to the royal priesthood. And some of us belong to the ministerial priesthood. that is known as priest, prophet, and king, which correlates to this, to teach, to sanctify, and to govern. We have faith formation, and we teach. I give long homilies to teach. To govern, as pastor, means to make decisions about the parish and here a school. That's boring. You don't want to hear about that. The other piece is to sanctify. And that is what I want to talk to you about. My friends, the church herself is a sacrament, a visible sign that leads to an invisible grace. With our sacraments, there's something tangible and something invisible. When you're baptized, we use water and oil, but the Holy Spirit comes and does something and changes something. In confirmation, this is done. The visible and the invisible. The Catechism describes Mother Church as a sacrament for the world, a visible that leads to the invisible. And so it follows then that if the church is its people, and you've heard me speak this way, the church is not brick buildings, it's you. Then it follows and each of its members should be like a sacrament, visible, sign that leads others to our Lord, and to his grace. In this sense, the church is to sanctify the world and others. So, my friends, let's talk about this. The church has seven sacraments, and it is most, the most efficacious sign that we have. But 
when I've been hearing so much about the new evangelization, I had to look and see, we're old church doing something new. The sacraments must remain. They are from him, King, Christ, and they're conduits of his grace. But what else is there to do? It's the sanctification part by its members. And this is where I don't think we've been going very far with. So we need to. So let's take a look at the human person. The human person has three parts. The physical, our body. The mind, which uh, we reason with, some better than others. <laughs> and we have soul or spirit. You can use either one. Regarding the spirit... It comes to understand itself not by way of reason, nor necessarily by the physical, but by being able to experience the sacred. Where do you think your soul came from? It came from what I described, that invisible place, that kingdom, from God, the place of the dwelling of the angels. And the sacred place within the human that I'm talking about is, in fact, the soul. And everyone has one. Everyone. There are some people who really act bad, but they still have a soul. They're so capable of experiencing the sacred. One necessarily must enter into that dwelling. Regarding the universe... And this is science. Regarding the universe, it has two parts, the visible and the invisible. The invisible is where the angels live, that kingdom where souls have gone. The visible is where you live right now. You're sitting in it. You live in the visible. But because... Uniquely, we human beings have not only a body and not only the ability to think, but we also have a soul, which the soul has a spiritual intuition that does not require you to have a PhD, but it allows you to understand and to experience that which is invisible. And it is through that that we experience God. As it is, you and I, because we're human beings with body and reason and spirit, we straddle both worlds in a sense. The visible and the invisible realm, for we have been built with this sacredness within us for encountering it on the invisible side where that kingdom is. So my friends, here we go. Culture, in a general way, accepts the idea of the invisible. So for example, and this one's a very simple one. Right now, I can see all of you, and perhaps you're smiling at me, and perhaps you're nodding your head. One or two of you have dozed off already because I can see it in your eyes. You're just like, uh. 
but perhaps invisibly you're pondering when is he going to stop? <laughs> Visible, the invisible. And there is more to the visible invisible, and science knows it. I challenge all of you, especially the young ones, just Google, because you Google everything, just Google quantum physics, black holes, wormholes, dark matter, and alternate reality. In other words, there's a whole realm of invisible that science is just now beginning to detect by way of mathematics and tests. But when it comes to God and angels and spirits, culture scoffs at it and says it's other nonsense. It's science fiction. For some of you with gray hair, 75 years ago, they spoke about things. That's purely science fiction. But it ain't no more. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? Science knows that there's the invisible. <laughs> Our king tells us already, yes, indeed there is. Jesus speaks about the invisible, the kingdom and all the heavenly hosts and realms. And here's the heartbreak about all of this. So many people have lost touch with the sacredness. Such folks have become so confused that they are not even aware of the spiritual intuition that is within them. They rely only on reasoning and fleeting emotions. Most have forgotten that the human is not just a bag of flesh and bones that can think like a monkey but that we have spirit. In this, humanity has lost touch with its truest self. And it manifests itself in our times with so many people feeling lost, with a lack of identity. He, she, it, they, they don't know how to describe themselves anymore. They have a great restlessness, but here is the one that I searched for last night. I couldn't come up with the word. And I said, Christ, you need to help me. The great discontentment of people. And that discontentment is very dangerous and plunges them into hopelessness. We Catholic Christians need to start speaking about the invisible and not be uncomfortable with it. When I was writing this homily, I thought, they're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> we need to start caring about such things. This also is sanctification. We're supposed to be doing this. We need to reintroduce people to themselves, to that spiritual part of themselves misunderstood or long forgotten. To remind them of the dignity that has been given to them already by their Father in heaven. Every human person, no one is excluded. This is part of the sanctifying mission of the church. And you are the church.
to teach, to sanctify, and to govern. Now, I do that in the ministerial priesthood a different way. But each one of you baptized, you do this as mom and dad. You govern over your children as much as they're allowed to be governed over <laughs> nowadays. huh? But most of all, as the scripture from the gospel put it, to do so with love and in charity. Because that is how Christ himself has done it. If people could reconnect with the spiritual part, they would be willing to accept him as king. To bring people into the realm of the sacred invisible, and then so by contact with it, they encounter the one that they truly are searching for, even though they don't know how to name it. To reside into and to walk in holiness and to be with him. There it is, folks. To teach, to sanctify, to govern. Most of you were babies when you were baptized, so you don't know that in the baptismal rite, you are anointed, and you're anointed priest, prophet, and king. The corollary is to teach, to sanctify, and to govern. Start doing it. If you do this, the world will become sanctified and our king will return quickly. Yay! No more war. No more violence. No more pain. No more suffering. Just light and joy and happiness. Get to work so the king will come. <laughs>